0: We're in Jonah chapter 2 today. When I was in high school, I went on a two-week mission trip with Christ in youth to Panama. And, and while, uh, while in Panama, we went swimming. And here's the problem with Panama. I don't know which ocean it was. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only country I think you can say that. We went swimming, and I don't remember which ocean we swam in. Because uh, they're not exactly separated by a lot of miles. And it, in retrospect, it was a terrible time to go swimming. It was shortly after there had been a hurricane. And the tides and the currents were all messed up. And I'm not a strong swimmer on the best of days. And an undertow started to pull me out to sea. And it was like being caught in the opening credits of Hawaii 5.0. The waves were just crashing down upon me, and with every wave, I got pulled out further. And it was a, it, it, it was truly terrifying. The more I struggled—again, I'm not a good swimmer—the further I got, I didn't, I didn't know any— I know that there are—you you, swim—now I've learned since then, you swim sideways against it and try to get out of the undertow. Um, panic set in, and there comes a point when you run out of energy, and, and you don't have the strength to swim anymore— and, and I'd hit that point and rolled over and looked at the waves crashing over me. Uh, my muscles had given out and uh, I was convinced this was it and, and said, God, I'll see you soon. That was, that was my prayer at that point. Um, and so we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 2. And Jonah chapter 2 in particular is not the account of a man swallowed by a fish Jonah chapter 2 is the account of a man saved by God. He got tossed out of the boat in chapter 1. We read about that last week. And miraculously, an enormous fish swallows him. Now, some people say there are no fish that big. It had to have been a whale. Some people get very offended if you say a whale because the Bible says it's a fish and who are we to reinterpret. I, I don't care today. For, for, for the point of the sermon today... I will continue to call it a fish, but it doesn't really matter to me. Um, That's not the issue. This is not about the fish. This is about God's forgiveness of Jonah and his forgiveness of the city of Nineveh. And chapter 2 stands out. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It stands out because Jonah sees God save him but I'm not convinced he still entirely gets it, and I think therefore this book has this. This chapter has this incredible tension of Jonah almost getting it, but not quite. He doesn't get that what God did for him, he wants to do for Nineveh. So Jonah chapter two, and let's read this chapter. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple." The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you and to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah's plea to God was to be rescued. Uh, and, uh, and, and God did that through the fish. Jonah's prayer is very unique in the Bible. We get that, right? Nobody else prays from the bottom of the ocean. It's probably as heartfelt a prayer in in many ways as you could possibly get. And it's a prayer of thanksgiving. He, He actually uses those words. Tossed overboard, Jonah cried out to the Lord in distress, and God replied. The Lord saved him. He sent the fish. Jonah was as good as dead tossed out into the Mediterranean Sea in the middle of a a, a terribly violent storm, from what we read, and a fish, a giant fish, is sent and swallows him. That, That is God's grace. He should have died, but God in his grace saved Jonah. There are different kinds of prayers, different things we can do while we pray. There's thanksgiving where we thank God for what He's given us. Um, There's praise, where we just honor and acknowledge that He's the Creator. There are petitions, where we ask God uh, for things. And there's also private prayers and and public prayers, right? Um, The way that we pray here at church is not going to be the way that we pray at home. Um, they're, They're going to be different. I I, I, car rides are where I probably do the most praying. I, I, car rides are a great time for me and God. Now, everybody driving by is convinced I'm on speakerphone because I pray out loud. Um, and, and if you see me talking to myself in the car, might be singing along to the CD, I might be on the phone, but I'm, I'm probably praying. Um, conversation with God can accomplish so much. It's so powerful. Jesus taught us through prayer as well. Jonah was in a pickle at the end of chapter 1. One that he caused. But Jonah, Jonah was in a tight spot, and God saved him. Jonah was as good as dead. Short of a miracle, and he got it, a fish swallowing you is absolutely miraculous. Short of a miracle, Jonah had zero hope of survival. God, if you just saved me... those. Those prayers exist a lot, right? There will al- the joke has been made, there will always be prayer in school as long as there are pop quizzes. Um, I, 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 that's extremely accurate, I am sure. Um, as long as there are exams, there will be prayer. Like, Mar- I, I mean, th- there's a good tradition of this. Uh, uh, Martin Luther, uh, the, the, a, a man who changed the trajectory of the church... Globally, forever. Martin Luther, none of that would have happened if he hadn't got caught in a lightning storm and was convinced he was going to die and made a promise to God, God, if you just save me from this lightning storm, I'll become a monk. I will I will enter into ministry. And he did. He, went, he, he fulfilled that promise to God. God, if you just save me. Jonah cried out in distress, and God's response is, To swallow him, but to send him to the depths of the ocean? Sometimes desperation can be a good thing. So Many people will never talk to God. This is sad, but many people will never talk to God unless they're desperate. Unless they're in need. I, I have to wonder if hospitals see more heartfelt prayer than many of our churches. Sad, but I think that there's probably some some truth to that. Someone once said that there are two kinds of people who pray. there are There are those who pray as they're going into a situation, and there are those who pray only on their way out. God always listens. He always answers, but his children don't always call on him. How often... Do we save God as our la- for our last resort? We try everything else, and when we've run out of options, well, I guess I'll have to pray there's nothing else working. God should never be our last resort. He should be our first. That, that's, that, that takes refocusing our minds and keeping them on him. In waiting until the last resort, I wonder do we refuse the opportunities that could be before us? I wonder what miracles God could work today, would work today through us if we turned to him instead of trying to do things on our own effort. Too many Christians, frankly too many Christians, don't believe in the power of prayer. They're just you know, words into the sky. I've had people that call themselves Christians that tell me that prayer is just, you know, it, it's trying to focus your thoughts to have God's thoughts. Well, that, that's part of it. But the Bible is very clear that prayer is much more than that. It would be, if it's just a matter of attuning our thoughts, what, what a waste of time Jesus spent teaching us how to pray the power of prayer. His own prayers become a waste of time at that point. Prayer is powerful. That God caused miracles then, sorry, the God that caused miracles in the Old Testament and the New Testament is still the God that listens and answers prayers today. Maybe not always so spectacularly that we see people walking on water um, or the sun stand still for a day, but miracles still take place and prayer is still powerful. And it's one of the things I love so much about Jonah chapter 2 is It it is a very deep, heartfelt prayer, beautifully written. There's a lot. I'm going to call it a perfect prayer, but it's perfect in its imperfection because it's it's a great prayer from an imperfect person. Jonah, as we will see in chapters three and four, is still a really imperfect person and really doesn't see the big picture yet. But with his limited vision. Jonah chapter 2 is an amazing prayer uh, of, of, of as Jonah is starting, it, and I think one of the things that I love about it is we're seeing the growth of Jonah. I think why I like the book of Jonah so much is there's this incredible spiritual journey from the first verse of chapter 1 to the final verse of chapter 4, and chapter 2 is this powerful prayer that shows the journey. So not only do we read about Jonah's plea and how it re- leads to God's rescue, but we start to see Jonah's repentance that will lead to God's restoration. You have to say this about Jonah. When you're down in the depths, there's nowhere to go but up. And for Jonah, this is a literal statement. Jesus says that Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. A watery grave. And and again, while a lot of figurative language is used throughout the Bible. In Jonah's case, this would have been a watery grave. Not just the ocean, but inside the fish. Would have been where he would have thought that he was dying. Can you... The horror of being thrown overboard, and then the terror of being swallowed alive. Can you imagine? Um, a, A grave. Now, Keep in mind the thing that I think is, is, is pivotal to this prayer. That final verse, verse 10, that hasn't happened yet when he's prayed. He has no guarantee that he's going to be spit up on, on dry land. That hasn't happened, and he doesn't think it's He does, He has no reason to think that that's coming. That hasn't been a. We don't have any indication that God said, I'm going to swallow you with this fish and in a few days spit you up. Um, there's no indication that God says, you know, if you get right with me, we can renegotiate. This prayer doesn't have any of that. So the, the prayer is heartfelt, knowing that he's going to die. So, knowing that this was it for Jonah, you know, there would have been that question, well, what's going through his mind inside the belly of his Does he think he's safe? Does he think he's getting ready to go back to Nineveh? Um, And and if not, why is he praising God? If he's he's like, well, here here we go, I'm getting ready to be digested. Why is he praising God? I I would say that it's likely that Jonah sees that this is his final chance to make peace with God before before he dies. Dying When you are at peace with God is the comfort of knowing that you're going home. Dying separated from God, at war with God, would be terrifying. Jonah needs to make peace with God. He brought brought this calamity upon himself. He was the one that ran away from God. He needs to get right with God, to turn back to him, to look towards his holy temple instead of at himself. He knows that God hears him. And so he repents, sort of. There, there is a difference, we all know, between I'm sorry I did this and I'm sorry I got caught. Everybody knows this because we've all been there. Which one is Jonah? But I don't even know that I need to answer that question. I think the better question is which one am I? Which one are you? When, when we sin. When the consequences of our sin catch up with us, are we sorry for our sin or are we sorry that we got caught? When we pray, we want forgiveness for us. How about forgiveness for other people? Because that's part of the theme of this chapter as well. Jonah is eager to repent. God, forgive me. He wants the Lord's salvation. But as we know, wanting God's salvation for him is not the same as wanting God's salvation for Nineveh. And that's part of the the contrast of this chapter, of this prayer. You know, you have to ask the question, why does God want to save Nineveh? We know why. We're New Testament Christians. We know that God loves the whole world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus. But there was no Jesus back then. There was no John 3.16 back then. In the Old Testament, God was the God of Israel. It wasn't a God who saved Egypt or the Hittites or the Amalekites or the Assyrians. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. The Assyrians are the people that will conquer, wipe out off the face of the map, Israel. Again, there was a civil war, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. What we call the Jewish people today are the descendants of Judah. That's why they're called the Jews. Israel, the northern nation, yeah, the, the, over over in the Middle East, we, we use the name Israel to refer to that, that strip of land. But the people of Israel, that northern nation, they're gone. They They were wiped out and dispersed and never came back. It was the Jews that came back when the... The Assyrians conquered Israel, the Babylonians conquered Judah, the Babylonians let the Jews back, what about the Israelites? They're gone. That, who, who, who did that? that? That's the Assyrians, that's Nineveh. The, the people of Nineveh are as much an enemy of God's people as anybody that we read in the Old Testament. Anybody. Hittites, Amalekites, all these other people, they may all be enemies... Of Israel, but not the way the Assyrians were. And so you look at it from Jonah's standpoint, and while Israel hasn't been conquered yet, it's impending. You can see it on the horizon as the Assyrians are growing as this empire and, and this looming threat that Israel is facing extinction. And, and now put yourself in Jonah's shoes in chapter 1, and God says, go to their capital city and, and call for their repentance. Preach to them. Unheard of in the Old Testament because the, Israel, the prophets preached to Israel and Judah, right? So for Jonah to be sent, the one guy, to be sent to Israel's enemy, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get that God loves everybody, even the Assyrians. And, and maybe he's starting to at this point. Maybe maybe that's just an inkling in his head in this fish that God has a bigger picture, and it's not Jonah's picture. They're not quite on the same page. Jonah wants forgiveness, but he really wants the Assyrians also to be punished. And, and I think that it's starting to cross his mind. He's not there yet, but I think it's starting to cross his mind that what he wants and what God wants aren't entirely overlapping. I think Jonah was sorry that he ran away from God, but I don't think he's yet sorry that he ran away from Nineveh. His repentance, you know, his repentance was the repentance of a dead man. There's something to be said that, you know, when he knows that he's getting ready to die, it's, easy to, it's easier to repent. But because he's not going to be called to go back and, and, and try, <laughs> try this again, he doesn't see that that's coming. But we know that God has bigger plans, and that's exactly what's coming for Jonah. Just because God loves Jonah and saves him doesn't mean that Jonah and his ministry are off the hook. And so we see that what God wants from Jonah is a transformation. And that will lead to salvation, Jonah's salvation, and the salvation of Nineveh. There's a difference between feeling sorry for what you did wrong and true transformation. It's easy to be sorry. It's easy to feel convictions of guilt, but they don't matter if we don't act upon them. Sorry doesn't mean anything if we don't change. Sorry is lip service. Words of repentance, and I use that phrase, not true repentance, words of repentance, an apology, saying sorry, doesn't, those come easy and they don't matter. True repentance, which is transformation, conversion. Now that's harder. God doesn't want you to feel sorry for what you've done. He wants us to be transformed. We know from New Testament, Jonah didn't get this yet, we know that God wants us to be transformed into the image of his son. He wants us to be Christ-like. They didn't know as much about the coming Messiah back then, but they knew what godly behavior was that Jonah and everybody else in Israel knew that God wanted them to act not like the pagan world around them, but in a godly manner. God doesn't need us to be sorry. He needs us to change. We can take, take the Apostle Peter, for example. Peter didn't just apologize for what he got wrong. He changed. And, can, and we see in the book of Acts, the guy that denied Christ at the end of the Gospels is the guy that considers it worthy, in honor to be counted worthy to suffer on behalf of Christ. Or another. We, we could use modern examples. Bill, uh, I have a lot of respect for Billy Graham and, and, and the Billy Graham crusades of the past. Lots of people. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people. Billy Graham was the only person to have his own zip code. He got so much mail. Hundreds of thousands of people have come forward at the end of a Billy Graham crusade, but by his own count, by, by, by the numbers that his own office kept, less than 2% of those people were Christians a year later. Um, because it's not about walking forward and asking Jesus into your heart and going back to the same old behavior later. True transformation is more than just a verbal assent. Billy Graham encouraged people to go to church. Most of the people that came forward at his crusades didn't take him up on that, and that's why they fell away. That's why church is important. It's not about what we think. It's about what we do. An emotional high doesn't save us. Anybody can do anything on an emotional high. Anybody, you know, everybody exercises a little bit more on January 1st. Right? Anybody can do that for a day or or a few days. But changing your lifestyle, changing your diet, anybody can diet for a day. <laughs> that doesn't count. Changing your diet, your exercise for a lifetime change, that is harder. And following Christ is 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 not a something that we do once and then we kind of slip off and fall away, and it's hard. It, in my Sunday school class this morning with Logan, we talked about Becoming a Christian is easy. It's supposed to be easy. We recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ died for us. We're baptized into His name. That part—that part's the easy part. Coming to that realization. The hard part is then that that's not where it ends. That's the beginning. And now we're expected to act like Christ, and that's hard. That is really hard to act like Christ when somebody cuts you off in traffic, when the week is going terrible, when the car breaks down, and everything is going wrong, and it's hard to act like Jesus. But the effort is worth it. And that's why we come together. And, and there, are, there are tasks that are delightful to finish. And there are tasks that are fun to be doing the task. Um, when I read, I like to read. I've got a lot of books. Some books I just want to get to the end of the book and say that I finished it. But there are some books that I lose myself in. And, and I don't want the book to end because it's so good. Um, my, uh, uh, having, having been born in, in Fife in Scotland, uh, that's where St. Andrews is, uh, I, I have heard that golf is one of those things that if you want to be good at it, you just never quit practice. You just always play. You always practice. You always keep at it. Because you'll never get there. (laughs) there There's never going to be a day when you say, I've arrived. You just keep working on it and working on it. And golf isn't for people that want to arrive. I'm told that golf is something that you have to enjoy the process of getting better or there's no point playing it. I think Christianity is a lot like that. There's never a point when we get there. There's never a point when we say, well, I'm I'm righteous and holy now. I'm done. I I finally made it. The process of being a Christian is an ongoing process and and i pray that we can enjoy the process god we don't we don't make an emotional decision and then walk away from it jonah may be making an emotional decision right now he's going to be put to the test in chapter 3 when he gets to act on the words that he just gave to god he doesn't we know that jonah will go to nineveh but we know that he will go grumbling and kicking all the way he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want God to save Nineveh. He doesn't even want God to love Nineveh. He likes God as his Savior and the Savior of Israel, but not as the Savior of Nineveh or those Assyrians. I'm reminded of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. Paul says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful, as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you've proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. It's okay to feel sorry if it leads to change. Evidence of true repentance is... Not words of repentance, but true repentance is a transformed lifestyle. Poor Jonah, He is on such a roller coaster ride through this he doesn't want to do this at all. God insists, and of course, God, in this case wins. God brings Jonah to the point of surrender here, but we will see it again in chapter four. And so we ask the question, how repentant is Jonah? You know, I think at this point he's a little bit like the older brother and the prodigal son. I think that there's some bitterness to him. Jonah chapter 2 is, as I said, imperfect praise. It's a form of superficial spirituality. It's a good beginning. We just don't want Jonah to end here. And I don't think he does. This is a conditional surrender. Jonah loves God as his Savior. I'm not so sure that he loves God as his Lord. He wants to do his own thing. Jonah acknowledges that salvation comes from the Lord. I'm not sure how much he likes that. I think the acknowledgement of it is the beginning. There's a point that we recognize that we need God. The point that we are grateful that we need God comes later, I think, for some people. I had a, I had a, a woman once in, in church tell me that she recognized that God was, God's way was the only way but she acknowledged that she wished that wasn't true. And I think people go through that phase. I think, I think there's the point when we see that we need God as Savior, but we, sh- but we have to work through that we don't necessarily like his Bible, we don't necessarily like his way, but, but spiritual growth is coming to love him and coming to enjoy the fact that his way is the best way and the right way and the way of joy, but that doesn't come instantly. Maybe it does for some people. But I don't think it comes. I think for a lot of people there is, there is this resentment that we need God until we work through that. And that's okay because we see that that's, that's the case even maybe for some biblical prophets. Here's what true repentance and transformation means. It means letting God send us where he will, and we're okay with that. It means loving those that we don't like, maybe even being someone that we don't want to be. But it means being who we are meant to be, having the life that God means for us. A lot of times my prayer to God is, God, help me to understand and be okay with this. It's not just God saying, Jason, I want you to go do this. It's me saying, but I don't want to do this. God, help me to change. If you're right and I'm wrong, and that's always the case, then, then help my heart to catch up with what my head knows. That's my prayer a lot, and that's okay that's that's the part of the christian walk where we where we go along with it and, and and we learn to enjoy the process in the movie braveheart mel gibson gives that line all men die but not all men live shakespeare has caesar tell us that cowards die many times before the uh, cowards die many times the valiant taste of death but once Jesus says, I've come to give you life that you may have it more abundantly. The only way that you can have that, though, is to give your life to him, not not running away from what he wants. When we put God first, we are blessed. When we run and keep our lives to ourselves, we drown. Our hymn of decision today is hymn number, I think, 437. 437. So obviously, you know, finish up my Panama story, obviously I, I lived, right? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't drown, pray, praise God that one of the girls on this Christ and Youth mission trip um, was a lifeguard, and she knew how to, she was a powerful swimmer, and also knew to swim uh, crosswise against the current, rescued me mouth-to-mouth, resuscitation, all of that stuff. It, it was, it, I, I learned some things. <laughs> I learned I don't like swimming, um, you know, someone said that the church today is gently drowning. One of the things I learned is you can't gently drown. That—that that is a horrible experience. That—that that is all these years later. Right, that's twenty, thirty, thirty years later. That—that that still gives me nightmares sometimes. Um, there's no such thing as gently drowning. Feeling sorry is easy. What God wants for us is not just words of repentance, but true. True repentance, true, true transformation. He wants us to be Christ-like, to have for us to have His heart, and it doesn't come easy. We have to pray for it, and we have to be willing to change. And change isn't always easy. And Jonah is this is this account of this man who who claims to follow God and doesn't. And we watch as God takes him from not wanting to follow Him. To getting his mind and following him. It's a process. We're not finished with Jonah's account yet, um, but we can learn so much from it. If you have not given your life to Christ to become a Christian, I'd like to talk with you about what that means. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, Elkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.